0: This is Government Gone Digital. I'm Dana Birchman, Chief Digital Officer here in Gilbert, Arizona, and I'm joined today by Derek Konofalski, one of my incredible team members, and two very special guests, Rebecca Ryan and Nick Mastronardi. Rebecca, Nick, thank you so much for joining us
1: our pleasure yeah thanks for having us
0: so This is kind of fun because we've never really met in person. I became a fan, Rebecca, of you specifically when our city manager, Patrick Banger, shared an article that you wrote in um, Public Management Magazine titled, Future Relevancy, What's at Stake for Cities in the Next 100 Years? And it really stuck with me. I shared it with my team. We were talking about it. And I think several things that you mentioned really align with what we're doing as part of what we're calling a city of the future efforts here in Gilbert. And then, Nick, you're the CEO of both NRC Polco where you lead a team to connect local leaders and constituents through policy polls, surveys, civic dialogue, and performance data. So I'm really excited that you guys are both here to join us to talk about some of the things that you're seeing going, around, going on around the country. And um, I know Gilbert here specifically, we're really focused on being futurists and trying to anticipate what's coming in the next five to 10 years. So thank you so much for being here. And I'd love to just have a conversation. Maybe, Rebecca, you could start by talking a little bit about... Um, your article that was in the magazine and what inspired you to write it? Yeah,
2: absolutely. So um, I had the, I didn't know it was going to be the cover story, but I got the cover story in PM magazine. So for those of you who are not civic nerds, this is um, sort of the magazine for public sector managers Um, so, and, and what a lot of people don't know is like the city manager is the CEO of in many communities, the largest organization in the community, maybe save for the school district. So, you know, cities are, um, you know, they have a lot of responsibility and, but they're often very hidden. I I refer to them sometimes as a black box, uh, among residents, but in any event, um, PM Magazine was doing a 100-year look back. So ICMA, the International City and County Managers Association, is celebrating its centennial, right? So there's a lot of um, you know kind of hand wringing and celebration about how far we've come. And I approached them and said, "Don't you think you should be looking to what's coming?" You know, and they said, "Great idea. Why don't you write the write an article?" So. I wrote this article about the future of local government, you know, the future of cities. And I I started by just saying that it will be a paradox. You know, it's going to be things that we can't even imagine. But in other ways, the paradox of it is that it's going to be a lot like it is today. Um, And there are three ways that um, my folks in my lab uh, have been working with cities to try to figure out the future, and there are going to be three kind of fundamental things that cities are going to have to do differently. Do you want me to jump into those now, Dan? Yes. or should we? Yes. Okay, all right, love it. Yep. So here they are. The first one is, you know, cities know how to compete with each other, right? Gilbert and Chandler, or Gilbert versus Phoenix. You know, like Phoenix being the big bad, you know, urban area, um, Gilbert being the city of the future, more innovative. You know, um, so cities know how to compete. And cities definitely know how to argue, you know, like they know how to, um, you know, the water wars that sometimes happen between cities, they know how to legislate against each other. But cities aren't awesome at cooperating. And we believe that if you kind of look in the crystal ball, we are going to have to collaborate with each other, collaborate and cooperate. So whether that's, um, you know, shared fire departments, or in some cases, you know, merging up city and county governments together where it, where it makes sense. That is one of the things that's going to keep local government relevant in the future. Collaboration, number one. Number two, reaching beyond the usual suspects. So um, I've been doing this work in public, in the public sector for over 20 years. And my colleague Nick on the call today, you know, he's been doing a lot of this too. You guys work in local government. And I think for all of us who work on the side of local government trying to do right by our residents, we know that it's like the same 15 people who come to every darn thing. Um, But Mm -hmm. they don't make a majority of residents. So when you think about young families as an example, you know, young families are working two and sometimes three or more jobs. In the state of California, your neighbor there. Um, we know that um, five jobs at minimum wage are required to keep the working poor going. Five jobs in a family. So these people don't have time to show up to City Hall or for a design charrette. So we've got to figure out ways to engage beyond the usual suspects. That's number two. If we want to remain relevant, we have to meet people where they are, not where we are. And then third and finally, um, coming back to that idea of the black box, How can we demonstrate accountability to our residents? So, um, you know, you can do resident surveys and that's a wonderful tool to get feedback once a year. But as you guys discussed on a podcast episode a couple episodes ago, um, you know, the length of those surveys can be stultifying. It's like, whoa, this is, you know, we're asking for a lot of data. We're asking for a lot from our citizens once a year. But are there some scoreboards that we should be keeping um, and being very transparent about it. So that's the third thing, is how can we clearly demonstrate accountability so that we, aren't, we as local government aren't the victim of people um, saying, you know, I don't even know what you do, it's cronyism, you know, it's all my tax money goes in, I don't see the value. And I think if we could be a little more transparent and accountable with our scorecards and what we expect our residents to hold us accountable for, We'd all benefit from that. It's those so therapeutic
3: to hear you say this, yeah. <laughs> as somebody who's the the struggle is real and you understand it, and I love it.
0: Yeah. Well, it's really this is amazing. I'm like this is Rebecca's my new best friend for sure. <laughs> um, these are the things we're talking about all the time here in Gilbert. We actually have our centennial year next year, 2020, and same thing. We're thinking about. Our future, and so we are building an entire campaign around for our future. And you talk about meeting residents where they are. It's something I talk about all the time in Gilbert. Our average age is 33. We have 97.5 percent of our residents are online, and they have a computer in their Mm -hmm. homes. So we have this ability to meet them online and where they are. And I love that. And one quote that really stood out in your article was, "Public officials must stop asking people to come to the town square and bring the town square to the people." And you're spot on because. I know my life as a busy mom and, you know, working mother, I want to answer maybe a quick two to three question survey at night in bed when I'm glancing through my email, you know. Make it easy on me to be, but I want to participate. I want to be a part of this. I want to vote and be an active member of my community, but you have to make it easy on me, you know. And I just don't think overall. I mean, think about our voting system still at the federal level, right? Why do we have to make this so difficult on people?
2: Goodness, I know the fact that you can get like a $400,000 mortgage online in like three clicks, but you have to like take time off work, stand in line, um, go through two manual checks. To prove that you're a registered but vo- I mean, it's it is pretty incredible.
3: I say that all the time, too, because I talk about banking. You know, people trust banking, not just with for, with mortgages, but with everything, every day of their lives. They trust it. They don't think about it. it just, it's just something that they do, and they just believe in that system. But yet we've had, you know, banking breaches over and over and over again that technically should scare people off, but it doesn't. But we can't get our act together for voting. And I really like the point that you said uh, earlier, because we kind of affectionately call that the HOA effect, where the only people who show up to meetings or to your, you know, things and the only people who answer your surveys are people who don't you know who do have the time to do that stuff, and that's usually the people that are the busybodies and the ones who want to complain. They're not the people that are the kind of the average person, right? Or they
0: show up with a problem, usually yeah. like screaming at the town council meeting, just like an HOA meeting. I know community outreach was something we took into our department because it was just that someone was going to HOA meetings, taking notes, reporting back, and I said, you know what? This these conversations are happening online on Nextdoor. Um, we have more than half of our residents on Nextdoor, and so it's an amazing tool for us to reach, obviously, and know that they're Gilbert residents, but also to solicit feedback from them. So we use this, as a, you mentioned, surveys as a survey tool on a regular basis. We let them name our regional park um, in Gilbert, and we solicit that from them. We can get 2,500 to 5,000 responses easily just by putting a simple poll or survey up on Nextdoor.
2: Well, if I could, I mean, that's one of the things that makes Nix technology amazing is because it allows you to sort of pulse citizens about issues that really matter. And it allows them to have a conversation with each other that requires civil, civilized dialogue. And it's, I mean, it's one of the reasons I'm such a big believer in Polko and in tools
1: like it.
0: Yeah. Tell us about that, Nick.
1: Yeah. happy. I mean, I, I completely agree with everything you guys are saying. I mean, when when the barriers to participation are high, you really only get those extremists and it just, it's not conducive to a great conversation. It's, it's kind of more like basically just a digital version of the noise. Um, but if you can lower that barrier to participation, you can start to hear from those people you don't normally hear from. And I think those are a lot of reasonable, thoughtful, um, moderate. Many people in the community have lots of good ideas. I mean, to us, a big inspiration in this line of work was, was this book called The Wisdom of Crowds, which says, like, you get these big, complex questions out there that impact people's quality of life. And people have these disparate perspectives and opinions. It's absolutely necessary to bring them all together, to provide their input, to hone in on the best solution, to get the best outcome. Um, and so we just wanted to really design and develop a civil space uh, that was constructive. It didn't devolve into into nastiness, and I mean, it just it's been really inspiring uh, to see it happen over and over. Just quick, quick background. I mean, I was Air Force for a long time. I'm really passionate about uh, civic and public missions. And uh, if somebody would ask me today, like, what was the biggest threat to a lot of our our country and our communities? A lot of times it's just our own apathy because people expect a nasty environment uh, in it. But if you can foster that and, and bring great dialogue together, you can get awesome insights and great outcomes and improve quality of life. So uh, everything you guys say is right. We're excited about working in this area as well. And whatever we can do to help there, I think mean, it's going to deliver quality of life improvements for everybody.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the quotes also, Rebecca, that you had in the article was a Madeleine Albright quote, quote that I haven't stopped thinking about since I read it. And I think I need to put it up in like bold letters on my wall. It says, citizens are speaking to their governments using 21st century technologies. Governments are listening on 20th century technologies and providing 19th century solutions. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I can't. T- the struggle is real. You know, yeah. I've been doing this for seven years now. And 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 before this, I worked in um, TV industry and, and we were constantly having to adapt and evolve the way the world is working. Right. To think about how we're communicating, how we're engaging people. And then I got to government and realized, you know, why was this so difficult for government agencies or groups departments whatever it might look like to when i i say this all the time but that's the way the world works you know our our residents are paying their bills using venmo and apple pay and yet we're still asking them to bring a check in to pay for a parks and recreation class i mean if if we can't and we want to know why we can't engage more people right in their local government creating you know jobs For millennials that they actually would want to take. I mean, all of this to me seems like there's other industries and sectors that really are understanding this and are able to evolve to stay relevant, right? And for some reason, government has just has such a difficult time with this. And this is one area we're really focused on here in Gilbert is, you know, I say this all the time. It's like, well, people say, Well, why? Why would we because that's the way the world works, (laughs) you know? And it sounds so simple, but I guess if you've if you've never worked anywhere else and you've only worked in government and you know you're within these walls and, and change is hard for a lot of people and the world is moving at such a quick pace. But I just think that it's so crucial for us to be able to evolve if we want to continue to engage our residents.
2: You know, Dana, I wanna offer um, I wanna offer a perspective on this that I, I learned recently and Nick, I would love your insight on this as a you know as a former Air Force guy. So I and a bunch of futurists um, recently went to the Navy SEALs and we kind of did a post-mortem with them on an incident that cannot be named. And the question was, like, could, should we have been able to predict this? You know, should we have known that this was going to happen? And even if you look for really pedestrian examples of technology or some of the other characteristics of this incident there were very pedestrian examples that were widely reported um, leading up to this. But they didn't have anybody at the SEALs at the time who was responsible for sort of keeping the eyes out over the horizon to to see like sort of when a technology tips into the mainstream and to think through, okay, how might that have an impact on us? And uh, the futurists who were there, who were all all civilians, we were like sort of astonished by this. And it was also a little bit frightening, right? To think that like your, one of your top military, uh, you know, units was not ready for something that in hindsight was like clear as a ham sandwich. But one of the things that I found sort of reassuring was um, one of the SEALs said, you know, we're set up bureaucratically so that we don't move too quickly. Um, You know, that there is some value in things taking time. And I think the, I think the, the, the riddle in this, like almost the koan in this is, okay, that may be true, but every truth usually has an opposite statement that is also true. So we can't just let our slowness then become the new normal because it has value sometimes. And Nick, I wonder with your perspective, you know, former military guy, and you were a professor, weren't you also a professor at the academy? Um, curriculums change slowly, you know, it takes time for things to get done. What do you think? I wonder what you think about the tension between like, what we could pick the pace up
1: on and what it's okay to like slow down on. Yeah, it's a great Mm -hmm. point. I recognize the benefit of being, uh, you know, kind of slow and deliberate, concerted in your decisions. But I also just want to echo, like, I'm sorry, I want to emphasize the importance of the time that we live in. I mean, I, you know, the advent of the printing press was for the first time anybody could do like point to point to mass communications. Before that, it was just like small, the boast you could get with small groups. But with the printing press, you could reach thousands of people. And even like TV and radio uh, up till today are just fancier media of point to mass. But the advent of the internet to hear from a lot of people in a peer-to-peer environment is a radical innovation. And I would love to say, yeah, there's benefits to going slow. But I mean, in the last 500 years, Mm -hmm. the magnitude of the recent communication technology innovations, we would be absolutely remiss not to incorporate that into not only like our resident, our constituent um, communications, but then also the fact that it's digital and it puts out so much data that you could use to better manage your city. And if we look at the the companies that use that data, the Amazons, I, I worked for Amazon for a little while, just the data driven decision making, I think is what has allowed them to be so hugely successful. So I do like the idea, you know, the concept of being deliberate. Uh, I get it. But at the same time, this was a major transformation that just occurred. And if we don't capitalize on it uh, in our government structures, we're going to miss out.
3: And that's crazy to me because I see that in government all the time now. My background is in user experience design, where I literally will watch people use a website or an app or something and then change one little thing and just test it and see how it works. And if it doesn't, we change it. And it's such a quick iterative process. So I think that's that's a amazing point to make that yes you we have to kind of look at what people are used to now how people live their lives we can't yes yes i I agree too there is a point to being deliberate but in terms of and, and you said this earlier nick you know in terms of breaking down barriers right now people are at the point where we're used to technology breaking down so many barriers that you can get a car to your house by hitting a button on your phone you know, like the the idea of government on demand where somebody could download an app hit a button on their phone and say, hey, my trash is ready for pickup or something. Like, let's start with those small, quick examples that we can iterate through. And then if we do see an issue or a problem or something, we can work quickly to fix it or we can work quickly to adjust and move. Whereas I feel like in government, it's the opposite. People want to throw up all these barriers and they want to say, well, we can't do this and we can't do this because we need to do A, B, and C. It's like, we really need to get that direct line to people now because that's what people expect.
0: Yeah, and I think it's interesting. I before this, I worked in the news industry, and I, I worked for Andrea Mitchell at NBC News, and. I don't think she'd mind me telling this story, but she was very hesitant to use Twitter and she didn't want to. She had a flip phone and we kept saying, well, you're the only, you know, you're now the only major reporter slash anchor who's not using Twitter. And now she live tweets Washington Nationals games. And it -hmm. makes me laugh because it's come so far, right? Because that's the way the world has evolved. And so maybe because I was like you said, Nick, spot on part of that industry that was changing so quickly. It's easier for me in, in this line of work to kind of, push everyone that way. And a lot of people who haven't had those experiences don't know any differently. And so it is more difficult to make that change. But I tell a story all the time about in emergency situations, how we were using Periscope. And then all of a sudden, it was like Periscope kind of died off. And it was Facebook Live. And everyone around here was like, but you said we were using we said Periscope. And I was like, okay, that was a few weeks ago. And now it's Facebook Live. And they're like, okay, all right, well, you know, and so you just kind of have to keep, you know, pushing. And I always say, I, I've, I've used the word, to Derek, before it can be exhausting, it can be um, to try to bring people along to this, you know, new way of thinking. And you mentioned the data-driven decision making, and Amazon. It's funny, I just was reading a case study about them, and um, and that's where we're really trying to focus now. We're trying to have this simple. To me, it seems simple. A conversation about our budget process that every um, single line item that you request must must be justified. I mean, I think we'd all say yeah, but with data, you know, if you if there was data available, did you use it and what was it? And this this whole shift in thinking across the organization, I mean, it, you'd be shocked. And even, you know, people that you'd think would be open to this idea, well, don't you want every just, you know, every request to be justified? they say, well, we're not data experts. You know, I, I don't know. I, I don't know where the data is. I don't know. And so it's just been this, again, something simple in my mind was everything I do from a marketing perspective, I feel like I'm always looking at the analytics or justifying it or looking at the ROI. And the fact that not everyone was doing that was like, well, I requested that last, I requested $200,000 for fertilizer last year. So I'm just requesting it again. Well, how much did you use last year? Mm. I, don't, I don't know, $200,000, you know? So this is like, And so I see these situations happen and some of them, like I said, are really basic, but I do think it's a major shift. The world is shifting, you're right, you're spot on, the way that the world is changing and now we have to figure out how to change with it. And for a lot of people and a lot of organizations, I think this is a very difficult and challenging situation and conversation.
3: Yeah, and that's a good point too. Even though the ideas behind a lot of this are simple, that doesn't mean it's easy because I think a lot of people that listen, you know, they they look at people's successes and they think, oh, that's. They said it was easy, or they. We never said it was easy. It might be simple, mm-hmm. but it's not easy. Those are two explicitly
1: different things.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I think there's a couple, of, you know, key takeaways here. Is I mean, this is a major shift that just happened. Let's use technology. Technology produces amazing data. We have to use that data in our decision making. We also need to know that when data, though, it has limitations and not every city can afford to have a, you know, a first class PhD data scientist on the team. Uh, And, you know, we can use data. It helps us with like local optimization. But still, there's some really bold new ideas out there that just looking at the initial data that's jumping off, we may not see. So I I do I, I do like, hey, this is an amazing time. Let's use it. Let's do these amazing things. But it's also, we have to continue to think big. We got to follow the, the, the practices that Rebecca points out uh, in, in how best to do future casting. Um, and and it's, it's the tool. The data doesn't exist for us to find all the global, global optimum yet. Um, but it is good for the local. But just be conscious that bigger optimum exists out there. It doesn't even have to be a lot of
3: data either, though, to Dana's point about like the fertilizer, um, you know, that doesn't require a lot of data. We just we just want to know what's your support. What's your evidence? I think people hear the word data and they immediately, you know, they go into one of those like movie scenes where the equations and the numbers are like Mm -hmm. swirling around Mm -hmm. above their head and the camera (laughs) zooms in on them. It's like, no, it doesn't have to be that complex. Like all we're asking for is how do you know? How do you know what you're saying is, is, you know, objectively true? And that's all we're asking for. It doesn't need to be all kinds of formulas and stuff.
1: It doesn't. Sometimes it's just like the, the new thing is the level of fidelity. We work with so many cities and they'll think, oh, I don't want to ask a question to my community. Like, how satisfied are you with snow and ice removal? We know like 80% of people are satisfied and maybe 20% won't be satisfied no matter what. But when you ask that question, you know, and you do some of the detail analytics and you look at higher fidelity, like a census track or a block group level, you can really now the data exists, the real time mapping and say, oh, I thought everybody was pretty happy. But now I know exactly where those pockets are. I can adjust those snow removal routes and get better outcomes. How satisfied are people with parks? Well, let's take a look by demographic. You know, yeah, 80 percent of everybody was. But now I can check. Young mothers in District 2 are relatively dissatisfied. We can do things to fix that. Those are very easy levers to pull. So it's not even like fancy new data or crazy equations. It's just higher fidelity sometimes that are that are now possible uh, and unlock quality of life improvements.
3: Yeah, if you go to the store, like an Apple store, for example, when you go buy something or you get something serviced at Apple, they send you a survey afterwards that says, you know, how was your experience? how many government organizations are doing that where they're polling people kind of in the moment getting their opinions and i think there's like again this paralysis where people just they they hear data and they overthink it because then instead of asking a question that's as simple as like how satisfied are you with your snow removal service or whatever or how satisfied are you with your utility experience they're asking these these very very fine grained questions that most people either don't know the answers to or they just don't really care. Like it's not it's not a meaningful question to them to find out the minutia of stuff. Just start with the the bigger more general, like you said, the global questions, and then worry about getting to the local data yeah. a little later.
0: We just went through this with a, a bond initiative um, that's coming up on our. 2020 ballot and the similar initiatives have failed in surrounding cities and I said we said okay why and we started looking at you know the types of things they asked their community to do was rank the projects for them and You know and we all know we get you get a ballot in the mail and, and if you're a really informed voter you read the bond language and it might might kind of make sense but you know you get you get a sense or you text someone you know and say you know what do you know about this bond initiative and it's really funny because we had a bunch of engineers in the room and everyone else and they were like talking about the details of this bond and i said stop we just the residents want to know what it means to them what does this mean for me what is this streets bond well What's the number one complaint we get on social media is their streets related issues, traffic flow, construction projects on streets, um, traffic signal timing. And so, and that was the feedback we'd just gotten from our National Citizen Survey was that streets issues were of the utmost importance to, and con, our residents were concerned about. So hey, now we heard you loud and clear, now we need to pass a streets bond, right? really simplifying it and for some reason they were like oh we never thought of that well because they're engineers (laughs) and they're thinking about the minutiae and the details of these projects and and what the bond looks like and I said you know your average resident isn't even going to take time to probably read the bond language and go into the detail you know so I think that's another great tip for cities out there is is again if you're thinking about the way that the resident would and, and putting yourself in their shoes and approaching you know, things like this and initiatives around this, I think it's, it will be very, very helpful to trying to get them to engage. And it's, you know, for us, it's, it's you know, our, we're turning 100 years old, our streets are old, do you want to, you know, help us to create the future and make improvements to your streets? Really simple, right? Like, it's, it doesn't have to be that complicated. And I think where, where Derek said about data, same thing, you know, be, don't be scared off by the terms, because a lot of it is is really simple.
1: I will say residents just love, it doesn't take a lot to make them happy. We just show that you can be responsive to their input. If it's on roads or whatever, just mm-hmm. use their input, cite their input, message back that their input was used. It wasn't a waste of time. It didn't evaporate into the ether. And then it makes them know that their their time was useful and it kind of nourishes this relationship that builds kind of a sustainable relationship between the residents and the community. And that's like, I think, it, I mean, it's tough to put numbers on that, but that's where the real um, you know that when that relationship's strong a community is really resilient and really robust um, and it doesn't take a lot it's just using their input uh, on outcomes uh, to Im- to improve to improve things uh, in the city
3: yeah and there's a, a sense too of of making content or at least communicating with people regularly, having that two-way conversation, because you're not always going to have something that everybody needs to hear about, but you want to get people in the habit of kind of just, just checking in with you, checking in with their local government, even, even if they can't be super actively engaged, you want those lines of communication open so that when you do have something that's important to say, they're already checking in with you regularly and you're checking in with them. So yeah, yeah. I, I think that's a great and that there's a, a lot to be said for that.
1: I would say one other thought on this topic is, you know, we kind of talked about the the data is useful, uh, the fidelity helps you kind of do better decision making. I'd also say one thing that's become possible now with the advent of technology is the ability to communicate with your residents more frequently. Um, We we love the annual survey at at, at, uh, NRC. We do tons of annual surveys for a lot of cities. um, And there's reasons. I mean, it can be tough to do a good scientific survey, you know, and and expensive to do it once a year. Um, but then the, there also are abilities to do more interim communication. So if you do have something like a bond or a referendum uh, coming up and you want to engage over time, there's a series of questions that you can get insight leading up to that and say, you know, how satisfied are you with this? Well, what kind of ideas do you have on that? And now instead of like a once a year communication, um, you can do it more frequently and then you can get kind of people, you, you build consensus, you build alignment Uh, on these important topics that doing it less and less frequently can make it difficult to have success on.
0: I agree completely. We, we were just talking about this and for us, it's, it's continuing that conversation. And so I always say, you know, drop the idea, plant the seed, you know, make sure that they know, oh, then when they, when it does come time to make that ask, we can say, oh, again, we heard you loud and clear. This is what you wanted. Before we changed our trash schedules the last time, we did a a survey simple just over next door, and we had thousands of responses. And surprisingly, people said, we're willing to pay more to keep our same-day trash service where we pick up regular trash and recycling on the same day. And our trash teams were about to change that schedule without asking our residents what they wanted. And, you know, they were willing to pay more, again, to keep it. So that helped to drive changes that we made in our trash system. So sometimes it can be really simple ways that you can engage them on, you know, getting involved in their projects. And you're right. Continuing that conversation more than just once a year is really important.
1: It's probably a terrible analogy. Sometimes we think about it. It's like we feel like we're helping bridge communications out of middle school dance that previously, like the two sides of the room could only talk like once a (laughs) year. And now it's possible. It's like, hey, you guys can talk now. Like go for it. Go after it. See what they have. There's cool things. They have cool ideas. You guys might like each other. Yeah. And you but. don't even
3: have to say much. I mean like Netflix now, <laughs> it's it's distilled into a thumbs up or a thumbs down, down. you know? Exactly. Like that's yeah. data. That's it's it's not very in-depth data, but it's data.
0: Yes, I love it. Well, thank you both so much, Rebecca and Nick for joining us today. And can you tell us um each of you where we should where our listeners should go if they want to learn more about your work and what you're doing, where they can find you online.
2: Yeah, uh, this is Rebecca Ryan, and it's easy. It's just my name, RebeccaRyan.com.
0: Awesome.
1: Uh, and this is Nick Mastronardi, and work with uh, lead both company Polco. Uh, and you just go to polco.us, and it's an online engagement platform. And then we also run the company NRC, National Research Center. And you just go to n-r-c.com and uh, tons of awesome annual surveys for cities and benchmarking analytics between cities.
0: Awesome. Thank you both so much. This was so fun to have you. And reminder to our listeners to please follow this podcast on Twitter at Digital. And we will see you soon from Gilbert, Arizona on Government Gone Digital.